Well, I want to welcome you and so excited those of you who are here and those of you who are on live stream or podcast or whatever way that you're kind of connecting with us. We're so glad you're a part of it. And that was just a glimpse of what happened. We had about 150 people or so that were at the baptism on uh, this last Wednesday night, and it was exciting. I'll share just a minute more about that after I share with you another exciting thing that happened yesterday. I had the opportunity to walk with a whole group of people in what is called a Unity Revival March. And and this was put on by um, both Merge Ministries, and some of you have uh, remember Sammy Winoni, who spoke here back in October at our, our Global Serve Sunday. And it was um, in that march that we went from all the way from uh, 10 West Lake Street, we marched all the way to the George Floyd Memorial, then they marched all the way to Phelps Park, and that was a um, a powerful experience, and um, I was so grateful for being able to be a part of that. People from all different kinds of churches, um, many different races, as you looked around and saw all the nationalities that were, were represented there. But I have to confess, as I was thinking about going down there and doing this, and, and, and just thinking of all the different things around it, I, I thought, how effective will this be in moving the heart of God? Will this truly have an impact on the community? The purpose of it was purely those two things, unity and revival. The idea that we were praying that there would be healing and there would be restoration, reconciliation, not only within our Twin Cities, but specifically that was the prayers for that community and for our whole Twin Cities and throughout Minnesota and throughout the nation. And I I had my thoughts about that because I hate doing things that are ineffective. I don't like spending my time kind of going through the motions when I went into ministry years ago, going into ministry, I thought, man, I don't want to do this unless it truly is going to impact people's lives. Um, I heard an interesting story from my son-in-law. He, um, he is a person, he loves bonsai trees, and so at his work, he has a couple of them, and he bought a real one for his office, and he also later bought a plastic fake one. The real one needs watering every day. And so he hadn't been in his office since April. This is somewhere around June or end of June. So he figured it was probably long dead. He knew that a co-worker was going into the office and he asked her to toss the old one out. Got your plant. I'm watering it. And I want to, and if you want to grab it at some point, just let me know. She later texted with this picture and he was kind of amazed. And then he began to laugh. He goes, oh, that's the fake one. <laughs> oh, no, she said, and proceeded to tell him that he, she got into his office and saw two plants, a very sickly, sickly one without leaves and another one that looked great. She didn't know what a bonsai tree looked like, so she Googled it and saw a bonsai tree, and she said, no, this is exactly what it looked like. So I took that one home, and I've been watering it every day since. And I thought, well, that's great. Uh, but I was thinking about it this way. I don't want to be a person who waters plastic bonsai trees. I don't want to give my life to something that isn't actually producing fruit and growth and seeing transformation. And so as I thought about that and I thought about this whole idea of a church, it, it, it reminded me of just last Wednesday night. Here we heard a testimony. You saw two Chinese people, one named Ray, who shared his story, which I want to have him share sometime here. But it was this incredible story of a guy who comes from a completely atheistic background and culture who came to the States and tells a story about 
how one individual, like through our, um, our, our local serve ministry, tied them up with a family here in the church, and the family brought that to Ray to church, and Ray didn't hear much of my message, but one last sentence, and then just one after another of people like you who were engaged in his life, where he came to a point where he understood what it meant to give his life to Christ. I um, was talking with Bruce and, and Joey, who both about a week or so ago went to Camp Shamanah and ministered to a bunch of students, our youth pastors, and there were 43 um, first-time decisions of people who made decisions for Christ. You have heard just in that last video about Dr. K and his wife and family about how at a certain point when we were in our nation having some of these immigrants come in, they came in as a refugee family. We took them and we have a home right next door here and how we brought them in and you heard their story. And then I I, I read today your giving and the difference it makes. Um, Dee, who works in our caring ministry, just shared with me uh, that here's one of the notes of a number of notes that are given. Your generous check, this note writes, was a surprise and elicited a praise God response when I really needed it for home repairs. Thank you for being Jesus with skin and blessing me. I continue to be touched to the counseling ministry. You are truly blessed to have this ministry helping me and many other people who are hurting. Thanks again and again. And last Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., we've been doing this for as long as I've been around at this church, every Wednesday, in the first Wednesday of the month, we meet together at 6 in the morning, um, an ungodly hour to get up and come to church, right? But a whole group of people have been doing it for years with one intention. We believe that prayer is the foundation that moves a church and brings about transformation. And so every Wednesday, we come together and we pray at the Wednesday, first Wednesday of the month, and we put a stake in the ground and we say, God, we believe that prayer is effective because the Lord tells us in his word. He says that the prayer of a righteous people, those prayers are effective and powerful. James writes that in the verse uh, 16 and 17 of chapter 3, or I I believe chapter 5. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a person just like us. He prayed earnestly. And in the Greek, it's he prayed in his praying. They didn't have adjectives. So it wasn't, you know, how you perfunctorily sometimes go through a formulaic prayer. It wasn't that at all. It was in his praying, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain in the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed that the heavens gave rain and the earth produces crops for the glory of God. So what I want to talk about this morning is this idea of effective and powerful prayer. Because if you want to, as we're in this series, create space for God, one of the things you need to come to grips with is how important prayer is in your life. It is one thing to follow the Lord and to follow Jesus and to seek to live as Jesus did. If you're going to seek to live as Jesus did, you'll find that prayer was very much a vital part of what was the engine that energized the ministry that he expressed among us. And so if you take a look at Exodus chapter 32 and 33, those chapters record the most famous prayers of Moses. You go through, um, all around through the Bible, but in these two chapters, if you, if you really want to look at it in light of what I think is one of the things that God is trying to teach us is that prayer is powerfully important. 
Last week I talked about chapter 32, and I just made the point, one of the points was that um, we are to pray like our prayers really make a difference. And we can do that because God gives us authority and responsibility over areas of influence. Whether it's your body or your, your home or your family or your workplace, you have areas where, where your feet go, so also goes the presence of God. And in that, you can pray and your prayers can really make a difference. So what I want to do this morning is to share with you four things out of Exodus 33 where you look at the prayer life of Moses. We're going to drop down a little deeper as we get into Exodus 33. I'm going to just share with you some thoughts and points, um, a, a kind of not without going reading through all the scripture on that first part of chapter 33. So let me just share with you. If you read these chapters, there's three specific re- recorded prayers in chapter 32 and 33. And Moses would meet with God either on the mountain or he'd go out to the tent of meeting just outside the camp where all of Israel was. And he would spend time with God. And I want you to understand the first thing about prayer. It is just simply a conversation. It is talking with God. Um, if you look at Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 15, you'll see that. 32, chapter, uh, verses 31 through 30, 33 will also show you that. But I want us to look at Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. And I'm just going to point out just how conversational it is. Verse 12, it, it, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me. In verse 14, the Lord replied to his words. Verse 15, then Moses said to him. And then you go to verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses. Prayer is just like that. Every person, as you read through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, you can read about um, David or Deborah, Moses or Miriam, or you can read about Elijah or Elisha. They were people just like us who learned that God was a personal God who wanted to be in conversation with you and with me. He wants us to walk and to talk with him throughout the day. Prayer is just that. It's a conversation. In fact, as you look at this, into verse 11 of chapter 33, you, you can see this. Prayer is effective and powerful when it's a heartfelt conversation with God. Because verse 11 says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. The words actually mean mouth to mouth. It's this idea that even with Moses, he didn't limit Moses to dreams or visions or other indirect ways of revelation of of knowing God. He actually spoke to him as if I was to have a person standing here and we had a conversation. That's how real his relationship was with God. And and we are fooled. I don't know how you grew up or what you understood prayer to be like, but a lot of us grow up thinking prayer is, you know, what you pray before a meal and then maybe pray as you go to bed at night. And then as you kind of hear about Jesus, maybe make a commitment in faith or you're, you're seeking to follow God, you begin to realize, well, maybe prayer should be more than that, just a, so many minutes a day. There's really power in taking time and spending time, 15, 20, however long time that you discipline to practice prayer. That's a really good thing and a powerful thing. But there's also what is called the practice of the presence, which means you are conversationally talking to God all throughout the day. It's not about learning some kind of rote, standardized, ritualistic, formulaic kind of prayer using ancient and archaic words that you just say the right way at the right time so that God's pleased with the prayer that you gave him. Prayer is alive if you come to God and recognize that he sees you as a friend. And Jesus basically says that. 
If you read chapter 15, right before Jesus is going to go to the cross, he's talking to his disciples. He's giving them kind of the last bits of information before he goes to the cross. And John records this. And many biblical scholars will say the backdrop for John 15, verses 14 through 17, is this prayer of Moses. Because Jesus says something very similar. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command... I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me. That's kind of like Moses says, tell me your ways. And God says, okay, I will. I'll tell you everything. I'll be with you as a friend. So God says, Jesus says to every person here that is listening or in this room, you have the opportunity to be on a friendship level with God where you can be in conversation with God. And Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. That even makes it stronger. It's not about your love for God or how you do things right with God. It's really about the fact that he loves you and it is all about grace because we're flawed people. We will make mistakes. We're broken people. God knows that and he still loves us. And he says, I just want you to enter into a relationship with me and begin to know me in this conversational way. He says, I chose you. And I pointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. There's a sense, even in verse 7 before that, where he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, just go ahead as you're walking. Ask for what you believe is important that you need. And if it's in line with what we're doing together, you can bet you're going to have it. I'm going to make sure that happens. And even as we read these prayers of Moses... We saw last week, it says God relented. He actually changed the direction of what he was going to do. You know, parents, if you're a parent and you have a kid, you ever have a kid who pleaded with you for something and you knew it wasn't life or death, you knew it you know, wasn't going to create great pain or wasn't going to cause uh, all kinds of difficulty, have you ever said, okay, <laughs> God is a father. So prayer is not only conversational. As we go through this, It's real. And by that I mean they were about real problems. Every time that Moses and God spoke, they were about real problems. It's almost like Moses is like a parent to a child. They're just talking. He's talking to God. He's talking about his family. He talks about their kids because it's their kids. You know, at one point God says, you're... You know, you know, your people. And, and Moses goes, no, 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 no. It's our people. In fact, he actually says, your people. He talks about um, their plan to get to a land. He talks about their future homes. He talks about their future jobs, where they're moving from being um, wandering nomadic kind of shepherds to becoming planted farmers. And they're talking about character issues with one another. They talk about job performance issues. At one point, they're talking about leadership concerns. Because prayer is not only conversational that you walk, as you walk and talk through the day. It's about the real things that you're facing throughout the day. It's the real issues that are before you. And so Exodus chapter 33, 1 through 11 is about a real issue. If you read through that passage of scripture, we won't take time to do it. But God has just relented. He's changed his mind. He comes back to Moses and says, okay, I'll bring you guys into the promised land, but here's what I will not do. I will send an angel, and he leaves it kind of unnamed to the angels. I will send someone, but I myself am not going to dwell in the camp. I'm not going to live with you anymore. And Moses goes, you can't do that, God. 
God, we want, we need you in our very midst because all the other nations, when they would, um, you know, move uh, nomadically from one place to another, they would have their own gods, their own idols, and and often their gods would have to be outside the camps because they were too great, too big. But this God, our God, said, "Hey, guess what? I'm not going to just be out here somewhere. I'm going to actually dwell within you in your camp." And now He's saying, "I'm not going to do that anymore because if I do it, I'm just afraid." that as they continue to, to rebel against me, my anger will strike out. And Moses says, no, God. And all the conversations between God and Moses were about real issues they were facing. I want you to note this, because this is really important. These were not just Moses' issues. Right? We learned last week that they were both gods and Moses'. I want you to think about this. The things you're facing... Your issues are not just your issues. They really aren't. Because God has teamed up with you. He is a friend. If you have a friend, I mean, they're still their issues. But don't you have the sense that you are very much involved? Or if they're a family member, you're very much involved. You've you got to have important boundaries sometimes. But the reality is that our issues tend to be the issues of those around us. So everywhere God has given a sphere of influence, he is concerned with your life. He's concerned about your body. You have authority and responsibility for that. So you can come to him with him, these prayers. Uh, where, where your family is at or, or, or where your work and, and what you do at work and, and maybe the school you go to, wherever you go, wherever you have a measure of authority, wherever you bring the presence of God, you have influence in that area. And it is not just your issue now, it's God's issue and he is with you in it. And so you need to learn how to, as you walk through life, Don't just go through a day and then at the end of the day kind of go, oh man, God, I'm glad you got me through it. Walk with God and talk with God about the very real issues. Make it a kind of continual conversation with God. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, Paul says this, pray continually. You get, well, how do you do that? Pray without ceasing. Or the Passion Translation says, make your life a prayer. Paul is so um, desirous for people to live this way where they walk and they talk about the real issues of life with God and make that their prayer that in Romans chapter 12, 12, he says, be constant in prayer. Basically, pray all the time. Live and breathe it. So effective and powerful prayer, first is not formulaic, although I'm not saying formula kind of prayers are bad. There's some really well-written prayers that can express our hearts. But at its heart, it's about our heart conversing with God about the very real things in our life. And here's where I want us to look at the next part, because this is really important. Prayer, then ultimately, is about God's glory. And we need to kind of drop into the weeds of Scripture. So we're going to read this next part in Exodus chapter 33. And I'm going to read from the message, and I know when I do that, I will get comments from people from time to time saying, you know, don't use the message, it doesn't, it's not, you know, literal, etc. And I go, yeah, it isn't. It's conversational. It puts it in kind of a language that we can listen to and hear. So that's why I'm going to read it today, because I think it helps this conversational sense. So Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 17. Moses said to God, look, you tell me, lead these people. But you don't let me know when you're going to send, who you're going to send with me. You tell me, I know you well and you are special to me. And if I'm so special to you, let me in all your plans. That way I will continue being special to you. Don't forget, this is your people, your responsibility. I love the conversational kind of, hear God. And then God said, okay, my presence will go with you. I'll see the journey to the end. 
And Moses said, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. How else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Are you traveling with us or not, God? How else will we know? And how will others know that we're special and I and your people among all the other people on planet Earth? How will we be distinct? God said to Moses, all right, just as you say, this is also, this also I will do. Okay, so you see, he keeps, they're in conversation, and, and, and somehow Moses is somewhat persuasive in this, and he says, this is what I'll do. For I know you well, and you are special to me, and I know you by name. It's almost like, because of my grace and my goodness and our relationship and, and who we are, and we're in this together, I'm president, you're vice president, this is our responsibility, these people are ours, I'll go with you in it. What I want to do is read to you from the NIV and how it puts verses 15 and 16, because I think it brings out Moses' concern quite accurately. He says, Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased or have found favor is the idea with me and your people unless you go with us? God, your presence in our lives make all the difference. Without you, how will anyone know how incredibly loving and powerful you are? It's almost as if he says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Because you alone, God, are what distinguishes us from any other people or country. In fact, any other people. There's been lots of people um, throughout the history who have migrated from one place to another place, who, who have actually battled people, who have been successful in taking a land. There's all kinds of people who have done that. God, there's all kinds of people who have been successful in the civilization and laws and different things. How will they know it's you unless you are with us? So... Plain and simple, powerfully effective prayers that talk with God in conversation about the real life issues always do so with an eye that God will be seen as the reason for our success, our peace, our joy, our failures and ability to endure, his patience, our patience with others, and whatever it is. It's this, it's this idea that God, as I go through this real problem, as I'm conversing with you, one of the things that I really want to have happen out of this, it's not about me, and it's not even, it's about them, and I love them, but it's really much more about, will people see you? Will they see you in this? The only way forward, Moses says, is with you, God. And what I want all people to see is you. I want them to see your undeniable, unmistakable, manifest presence in my life. And if you want a powerful and effective prayer, it's the prayer that begins to pray and say, God, as I walk into this situation, this real situation, what my deepest desire is, no matter what the outcome, no matter what it looks like, is that people see you. My prayer for many, many years, ever since I started in ministry, I shouldn't say from the beginning, it was about seven or eight years into my first church, I started praying and saying, God, I will, I'm just praying that you will set a church on fire with your presence. I would desire, God, that you so come into a body of people that your undeniable, unmistakable, undisputed presence is known and seen. 
And I prayed that there'd be such an awakening. And as I would think about it, I'd think about, wouldn't it be really cool that um, there would be this church on fire and, and there would be this incredible move of God where, where people are full of life and love and, and it would have such a sense that the community would see it and they would take note and, and they'd begin to take note and then eventually they would hear about it and they would send someone from the Minneapolis trip and reporters would come and they'd come to the church and they start asking questions because they see what's going on with this group of people who are full of love and full of life and they'd look at it and they'd look at the way that people love each other and they would look at rich and poor and blue collar and white collar and no collars. And they would see the people who are weak and insignificant together with people who are powerful and influential. And they, they would love each other and care for each other and they would share with one another. And they would look at the way that they get along and they'd work through difficulties and differences. And, and they would do so with loving charity. They would really seek to understand and, and, and learn in humility to just love one another. And they would be amazed because there'd be Republicans and Democrats and capitalists and socialists and educated and uneducated and and these people would really listen to one another, seek to understand one another. And they'd be asking themselves as they're looking as reporters, where does this happen? This seems kind of unworldly. And they'd look at the way the people work together for the good of others. There'd be white, black, brown, people of every shade, of every race that would be together truly loving each other and others. And they would be so amazed. And they would ask themselves, what marks this as different? How is this so distinct from everything else? And they would sit down with the, with myself as a pastor and a staff, and they would sit down with some of the leaders of the church, and they'd sit down with the people of the church, and they'd get through all of them, they'd go, gosh, we've, we've, we've met with these people, and they're not smart enough, savvy enough, they're not sharp enough to make this happen. There is only one thing that can account for this distinction, and that's God. That's God. That's what Moses was praying. I want people to look. I want them to come in and I want them to see. And all I want them to see when they look at it, they go, that's God. Can you imagine a people, if a church, a group of people, a lot of people, all kinds of churches began to seek God in such a way that as they're living these conversational prayers about real things going on in their life, they began to press into it and said, God, more than anything, all that we want is people to see you. And I believe that was Moses' prayer. And I believe it's possible for us today. I believe that we, the way we engage today around this COVID-19 and how we are people who, you're wearing masks, we do the right, we do things that are wise, but we are people that go, you know what? We don't need to live in fear. Because we have a God who has a hold of our life. And we're not living just for this life. We have a life beyond this. And we're convinced of this. Jesus just didn't die. He rose from the dead. And not only we look at this COVID situation and they begin to say, well, there's something distinctly different about the way you're living as you're conversing and, 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 and talking with your God and living with your God. And then they look and they see the justice issues and they see what's happening with the black and white and they see what's happening in our government and they see all this divide and they begin to see a people who are learning how to talk and converse with one another in ways that are loving and, and they're not the ones that are dividing out and holding their own positions, but actually God's working in such ways that he's creating relationships and in those relationships, come solutions that's what God wants to do that's our prayer that's our prayer as a church God take us 
We may be a remnant of a whole group of others, but remnants are really something God loves to work with. Because he doesn't need lots of people. He just needs hearts that say, God, I want your glory. And when they start praying that way, things happen. If you look at verse 17, God says to Moses, I will do this. Listen to this, not based on your merit. Not because you deserve it. Not because we've been really good. Oh, man, you as a church, wow, I just... I see your failures, but I see your heart. And it's not based even on your heart. It's based on my grace for you to do what you've asked. And then finally, prayer is about growing in intimacy with God. What I think is so cool as we end this chapter, it doesn't end. I, in my mind, I would want to end it right there. You know, it's all about your glory, God. Yeah, way to be. What I think is so cool is finally prayer is about intimacy with God. Because you're never going to really see the glory of God. You can pray for it. It doesn't happen. Intimacy with God, closest, moving into it with your sin and your failure, into his grace and his goodness, as you continue to press into that and say, God, I want to know more of you. I want to know more of you. Your intimacy is what brings impact. Don't ever forget that. It's not all the good things you can do. It's not all the good gifted people you can come around you. It's not all the creative ideas. It's not about a people having a five-year plan. Those are not bad things. It's just, it's all about intimacy. If you are close and growing in your relationship with God, you will begin to impact people. So Moses, at the very end, he does something that I think is, is um, really audacious. His final request in his talk with God, and it looks rather selfish, but it really isn't. He says, let me see you, God. I would, I'd like to see you. I, he's basically saying, I want to know more of your glory. I personally want to know more about you. I want to know and experience more of you. Because intimacy is what leads to impact. Acts 4.13 says when, they, when the, the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders and political leaders of the day in Jerusalem, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and they were ordinary, they're like the reporters going, they, they, they can't, they're not sharp enough. They were just ordinary people. They were astonished. And here's what they took note of. Here was what made them distinct. These were men who had been with Jesus. And I just want to challenge us. I want you personally right now to think about this. Do you really want to know Jesus? In your heart of hearts, are you willing to say, Jesus, I want to know you better. I want to see more of you so that I can reflect more of you in my life. I want to experience your patience. I want to experience your grace. I want to experience your your reconciliation so that I can turn around and do the same thing for others. Because if you don't know that in your life, you will not be doing it for others. It just doesn't happen. The more you understand the heart of Jesus through a lifelong conversation with him, the better you will trust Jesus and be able to help others know and trust Jesus. Because prayer is a conversation with God with the ultimate purpose that you may know him more intimately because that's where your glory of God begins to be shown and demonstrated. So I just want to say, church, those of you who are listening or watching or whatever way this is getting to you, 
We have a great opportunity ahead of us. I just want you to take a moment here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I want you to let Jesus hold you because we are in a time where people are in fear. We are in a time where people are in the unknown. We're in a time where we don't get it, but the only way you're going to move through this is to know this truth, that Jesus is holding you, and as he's holding you, it is your opportunity to hold and to, to give yourself to others for the sake of the glory of God.